we're here on the Off Trail Learning <laughs> Podcast, uh, normally hosted by Blake Bowles, but today hosted by Jack Shot. No, you don't know me, but I'm here to talk to Blake. <laughs> about hold, up, hold up, Jack. We're, we've already started recording, and I have a, a little message before we get into your conversation, our conversation. So as many of you know, Not Back to School Camp is a summer camp where I've worked as an employee for, for many, many years. And I wrote about it in my last book, Why Are You Still Sending Your Kids to School? Chapter 6, called All They Want is Connection, was pretty much a description of the magic that goes on at Not Back to School Camp. And I wanted to say that if you are thinking about signing up to go to Not Back to School Camp, now is a good time to do it, especially if you're thinking about going to the Vermont session, which is in September. It would be great if you registered before the end of April, because just like my Unschool Adventures trips, if we don't get minimum numbers, then sometimes camp sessions don't happen. And so go to summer camp, kids. It's wonderful. And I think not back to school camp is a particular type of wonderful. That being said, my guest today is Jack Schott. Jack is someone who knows more about summer camps than pretty much anyone else. And we're going to hear a lot more about that. And we're going to hear about the summer camp that Jack co-founded called Camp Stomping Ground in upstate New York. And why don't we start with uh, where you and I are right now, Jack? What, what's our setting? Paint, paint a picture for the listeners. Thank you, Blake. Uh, we are sitting in our Albuquerque in albergue uh, albergue Alber. uh, we blake just forced me to ride uh 80 kilometers on a bike today and uh my brain's uh, ready to rock and roll for this podcast so we're sitting in our uh albergue and we are recording this podcast before we uh head out tomorrow on our way to burgos muy bien jack and it's great. We're having a great time biking across the north of Spain before Blake continues his trip to Toulouse and on around Europe. And he's introduced me to the idea of kind of bike touring, which besides summer camp, I couldn't recommend more. This is a big pitch for bike touring here. <laughs> We're going to pivot on this episode. Uh, yeah, Jack, uh, summer camps. Did you grow up going to summer camp? What are, your, what are your origins here with camp? We're going to talk about why camps are magical, how they connect to self-directed learning, how you imagine uh, summer camps could get better, and of course about the specific camp that you started, but, but where did this love, this infatuation begin for you? Yeah, I loved going to camp as a kid. I went to a camp also in upstate New York outside of Rochester where I grew up, and I loved um, hi, mom and dad. I loved getting away from my parents for a couple of weeks every summer. And then even more than that, I loved working at camp because working at camp starts to bring in a lot more of the self-directed stuff that we try and do um, at Stomping Ground. But at most conventional camps, it's pretty, you know, you get told what to do. It's a job, those kind of things. But you have a lot of choices. You can uh, kind of get up to your own thing and you build this community because it's all about community chapter six of the name of the book that I can't remember that Blake started that Blake wrote. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's incredible. So I went to, I went to camp, uh, Stella Mars in upstate New York, grew up going there after college. I, what did you study in college? I studied industrial engineering and it was fine. You know, I, I, I made my way through and, um, I was a, you know, very, um, student that got things done by doing the least amount of work. But, you know, I'm privileged to 
be good at the normal school stuff. So I was good at taking tests. I was good at um, kind of getting those things done. And so after graduating from college, Laura Kriegel and I, who um, eventually is my partner in starting Stomping Ground and was my partner at the time kind of in life, we were probably just too afraid to talk to each other about like moving in together or any of the like kind of hard heart things. And so instead we kind of looked at each other and said, should we go on a road trip? Like classic millennials. And that's what we did. We packed up Laura's 2000 Honda Civic in 2012 and set off across the country to visit a couple of camps. And really we were looking at visiting summer camps as a way to easily pay the bills. It's a free place to stay. We were going to volunteer. We knew they had beds. We knew we needed beds. And that turned into two years of crisscrossing the country, visiting 47 states. We missed North Dakota of the of the contiguous states. And uh, we went to over 200 summer camps and kind of explored what camps were doing, took a, a survey of what's going on. And then people started asking us to you know, speak about it and share what camps were doing. And we mostly just shared the best parts of camp. But in the back of our head, we were looking at, well, what would it look like to start our own camp? But thought it took a gazillion dollars to do that. Um, and we met a man named Scott Arizella who said, well, if you're going to, you want to start a camp. And we said, no, of course not. It's too expensive. And he said, well, you can rent a camp like you rent a car and um, come volunteer for me for a week and then I'll help you. And that's what we did. In 2015, we started Stomping Ground really from the perspective of how could we start a camp that we would have wanted to work at and go to as kids and to try and um, treat kids the way they wanted to be treated. So we had been influenced by a bunch of unschooling ideas and um, alternative education as well as a million other things. The first summer was an absolute nightmare, just like the way you start um, almost anything. We tried to have no bedtimes. I mean, we were we were pretty radically um, exploring some ideas, and in we kept going. And in two thousand twenty, in two thousand twenty, in March of two thousand twenty, we agreed to buy a property in up in upstate New York, outside of Saratoga Springs, that ended up being our forever home that Stomping Ground now um, gets to run camp at. But that was a kind of a mess of a time to be purchasing a camp and then told by the state that you can't run camp and all kinds of stuff. But So let's talk about the, the current situation with Stomping Ground, and then I want to go back to, to Origins again. So uh, right now, uh, Camp Stomping Ground continues to exist. It's running. It's running this summer. Uh, you They're on a property that is now owned, not rented, and that sounds like a great footing for the for the future. Like, and what's the status of Stomping Ground now, and what's your involvement with it at this moment? Yeah, so Stomping Ground's awesome. You should check it out. And I'm sorry that if you're want to send your kid this summer, it's probably full. Um, <clears throat> and it's in upstate New York. I'm on the board. I stepped back from being co-executive director with Laura in October um, after getting burned out from uh, whatever number of years of only thinking about Stomping Ground. And it's... Um, it's awesome. We run two-week sessions for about 125, 150 kids and try and bring as many kids from different backgrounds and different experiences as possible together. Um, kind of importantly for this podcast, I know there's a lot of um, alternative education folks listening and we have probably 10 to 25% of our campers are kids that are unschooled, go to Sudbury schools, um, agile learning centers, those kind of things. So there's a lot of those folks and then, um, kids that are in conventional schools and all kinds of Montessori, et cetera. And our mission is to 
uh, inspire the next generation of radically empathetic decision makers. And so how do you bring a bunch of kids together, give them a chance to learn how to make decisions by making them instead of by following directions and then um, mess up. They're going to mess up. They're going to bump into each other. And so how do you work through that conflict when it arises, especially with folks that are from different cities from you, have different racial backgrounds, religious backgrounds, what, what have you? Um, it's a lot different than maybe the kids that are as similar to you as possible that tend to be who we all interact with on the most regular basis. And do most of the campers going to Stomping Ground come from the greater New York City, New York State area? And what are their ages? Stomping Ground serves kids 6 to 16, and then people can start being on staff and doing a bunch of different roles after that. And our camper base is about half from New York City, and then 45-ish percent from the rest of the Northeast, and then that last 5% from just you know people finding it all So if I was living in California and I wanted to fly out and attend Stomping Ground, that, that's possible? It's definitely possible. We tend, I could be wrong about what happens in the future, we tend to not do a lot of transportation from airports, things like that. So if you set up your own transportation, totally. Yeah, great. Yeah, and we have campers from Texas, Colorado, Kansas, uh, folks come and find us um, from all over. And, and many of the folks I'm describing actually are uh, unschoolers who can't find youth camps for unschoolers because there aren't that many. They're few and far between. Not back to school camp, an amazing camp for teenagers, and they only serve teenagers on purpose. And so there's not um, a lot. Wait a minute, before I go on, if you are an unschooler or you go to alternative education and you don't live anywhere near New York City, you don't live in upstate New York, my recommendation is check out your local Quaker camps. Quaker camps tend to be very choice-based, uh, have similar um, ethics, hope to you know empower individuals, those kind of things. Some of the leadership staff, uh, not back to school camp, have a Quaker background. It, it's, it seems like a good fit. Yeah, yeah I, would, I, I mean, I recommend Quaker camps to pretty much everyone that can't get to Stomping Ground. Uh, they're amazing, usually. Cool. All right, let's go back. Uh, why, why are summer camps important? Jack, like, like you don't have to give me like a sociological explanation here, but in, in the life of a child, a summer camp age child, when you think about this kid having a summer camp, as, and when I say summer camp, I mean sleepaway summer camp. I think I, I went to day camps when I was younger. I think those are important too, but I think it really is a different ball game with sleepaway summer camps. So why do sleepaway camps matter and what kind of a change can they make in a young person's life that that they wouldn't have had if they didn't go to camp. Summer camps uh, are like, in many ways, they're um, they're like traveling to different countries. You you come onto camp, you get dropped off, your parents leave. That's really important. I love my parents. I'm so glad that I got to be away from them for these formative times at camp. And the culture of the camp is then what you live in. That's what you you swim inside. So it's really important when you're choosing what camp to send your kid to that you're looking at, what do these camps care about? Like what, why, like you send your kid to your local Y camp, the Y has what they care about and you're going to get that as the culture. And, and the culture is what I think is really what is kind of brought in. That's what, that's what we take in as individuals. That's what we take in as campers. And so you get to go to this new world that is summer camp. You get dropped in there. We're going to probably sing some silly songs. You might um, go out and look at the stars. You might 
play some wild games and battle zombies. All kinds of uh, adventures are going to happen. And each kid that goes to summer camp is the main character of that adventure. And they get to travel through this world. And so what, you know, at Stomping Ground, what we hope to do, like I said, is inspire the next generation of radically empathetic decision makers. So what we're hoping is that summer camp is an awesome tool to let kids see that they have more power over their choices, to let them see what it's like to make those choices, what it's like to make a mistake and have to look somebody in the eye and decide if you want to say you're sorry. You know, you don't have to. When you come to Stomping Ground, you don't have to say you're sorry. You have to agree to work through conflict when it arises. And that can mean any number of things, right? But uh, those are all the kind of formative experiences that happen away from parents, away from the kind of protection that parents inherently want to give their kids like tend to anyway and um, so I think that there's a superpower in that and each camp is going to provide a different culture that they live in and so I, I don't want to say that you know there's a uh, every camp is going to make the world of difference for different kids you know every, there's hopefully a camp that would be awesome for each kid um, and so it's a great tool for changing our perspectives and letting us see the world a little bit differently. The way we like to talk about it is most of the time, most of us go through the world in kind of what we call brick brain. So you're going through the world and if you pour water on a brick, it just splashes off. And then, you know, there's a bunch of research and a book called uh, Made to Stick by the Heath brothers, Dan and Chip. Chip. And, uh, and you know, what they describe is research around how memories are made. And so memories are tend to be made in peak or end moments, right? So something that's, that's wildly interesting, that's different from anything you've experienced, or the beginning or end of something. And so when kids go to school, when kids do what they do every day, they tend not to remember those details 10 years later, because they're the same. Right. But when you do something different, when you go to Spain and you are forced to go 80 kilometers a day, I believe you consented to this enthusiastically. May I add? Of course, of course. Uh, And and we take that for granted as adults that we get to consent for things and kids mostly don't. So when you do those kind of things, they're different from your normal experience. When you go to summer camp, it's different from your normal experience. And so it's going to lead to an increased number of memories. It's going to in- increase what we think about. And th- those memories are then going to create the narrative for who we are. They're going to let us look through that narrative to then start to make decisions about the future, right? And so that's what camp can provide. And it can be really positive. It can also be really negative, to be honest, right? So like if you're if you're forced to go to camp and you didn't want to go, it can be a really jarring and, and negative experience because it's going to be so different. It's going to create more memories, which is going to create a larger impact on your narrative than doing the same thing every day at school where um, the brick brain gets water poured on it when you come to camp there are more likelihood for sponge brain sponge brain moments where when that water gets poured on it's something that sticks in this big two-year road trip that you and laura did how many different summer camps did you visit about 200 that's a lot of summer camps so what are some of the different kinds of summer camps that you witness can you try to sort of summarize and categorize like what's out there in the united states right now Yes. So I, so I also do some work um, with the Summer Camp Society, which is a kind of consulting company for professional development for camp 
professionals, a lot of professionals words saying there. And uh, in that work, I get to see some other camps as well. And really in our trip, we were looking at sleepaway camps. And so kind of painting with a broad brush around sleepaway camps, there are um, private for-profit camps that tend to be more expensive. Often they're longer in session. So kids going for four to seven weeks, eight weeks. And um, I'll say those camps actually tend to be pretty choice-based. They they aren't necessarily kind of coming from the same um, partner with not power over mentality that, you know, we like to think about at Stomping Ground, but they are, they tend to be more choice-based. Then there's... Uh, um, what I would say, maybe agency camps. So the Y, JCCs, probably other organizations that I'm missing, they tend to be a week or two. Uh, there's more scholarships there. Can be expensive, cannot be expensive, depends on, on which camp you're looking at. Those camps are often, and not, you know, again, painting with a broad brush, often more kind of cohort based. So you move Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts are another example of this. You go through your camp experience mostly with your cabin. So what your cabin gets up to as opposed to getting to choose all the time. That's not true at all. Why camps? There's some that their choices or JCC, all that kind of things, but tends to be more cabin focused. Um, and then there's a bunch of oh church camps. Church camps, you know, um, really I'm thinking Christian camps run the gamut on their programming can be choice based, can be kind of very top down um and their goal is uh they their, their goal tends to be you know again it's this idea that faith equals fun so you go to camp and you're going to do something that's really fun and it's also going to be religious so that's the camp that i went to as as a kid i'm not religious at the moment uh but at, you know that was kind of what the the goal there was and then the last one is these independent nonprofit camps so there's these quirky or sometimes they're for-profit too, but quirky camps like Stomping Ground or Not Back to School Camp or um, I'd say Quaker camps are a little bit like this. They, they sometimes have some some more authority, authority over them, but yeah. Is there a, a distinction between West Coast and East Coast camps? I have my own theory about this, but I want to hear your experience. Yeah, I, I'd say every region of the country has some similarities in their camps that that kind of make them more like each other and then differences from the rest of the rest of the country and i think there's more of a culture of going to summer camp in especially the northeast and kind of chicago region than there is almost anywhere else in the u.s and so those camps that are those for-profit camps in particular tend to be really tradition-based, uh, a lot of second, third generation kids going to those camps. And then as you move toward the West Coast, I think, and in 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 the Minnesota E region, there's a lot more adventure type camps. Uh, trip, more wilderness area. There's more wilderness, there's more tripping, there's more of those kind of things. Um, but not, And there's more of a need to be not just a summer camp you can be just a summer camp in the northeast and, and most camps would never say they're just a summer camp but you can be a relatively kind of conventional camp and in the northeast people want that because there's a history of it is as you move away from the northeast a lot of times folks have to kind of diversify their um 
they're offering to be a wilderness camp, et cetera. What's, wait, what's your theory about well, camps? The first thing, I've worked at a few different camps. Uh, my first summer camp job when I was 18 was working at a camp for special needs kids in Massachusetts. Uh, I later worked in the Poconos in Pennsylvania at what seems to be a, a traditional Camp Cayuga, a traditional private uh, camp. And uh, and then after that, I spent most of my time working at, at just a few camps on the West Coast. But I know lots of people who work at other camps also and, and outdoor education programs that share the same site sometimes with summer camps. Something that stuck out to me when I worked at Camp Cayuga was how long some kids would go away for the summer. Um, coming from the West Coast, two weeks was the standard uh, for a sleepaway camp. Shorter would be one week. And a few kids got to go for, for a double session, four weeks. What seemed standard in the East Coast was four weeks, but you could also go for six weeks or eight weeks. You could go for the whole summer. And there was kids, sometimes six or seven years old, who were going for six or eight weeks it blew my mind. It's like they were being sent off to boarding school. Uh, and so that's just something that, that's always struck me as a very East Coast kind of older type of summer camp tradition than than what's going on in the West Coast. Does, does that match up with your experience? Yeah, I think that's 100% true. The, the caveat I would say is that there are also just more camps on the East Coast. And so there are definitely more what what you're describing in the industry would be called long session camps in the Northeast than there are anywhere else. However, in the Northeast, there are may also be more short session camps than there are anywhere else. So it's just that there's more of everything. And then as you move West, it's harder and harder to fill longer sessions, I would say. For listeners who have no experience with summer camps, I, I think there's probably a apprehension about their accessibility and, and cost. And, and what's that, that like right now? Because I know some camps have huge, you know, totally inaccessible price tags, and and then others are actually like surprisingly accessible. Tell me, tell me what's out there. Hundred percent. First thing I would I would suggest is get on the phone with a camp director or executive director, and and to be honest, try and get on the phone not just with what would be called in most camps like the program director, somebody that's you know, going to probably be 24, 25, not to say that those people are bad. They just don't have decision-making power usually to make changes and, and get folks into camp. Um, and there tends to, there's tons of scholarships available for lots of camps that, uh, and even these for-profit camps, right? So these for-profit, very expensive camps, many of them have more scholarship dollars than they can give away because they don't do any, or they do limited outreach to be trying to bring folks in. So, you know, camps can cost anywhere from $250, a lot of church camps, $250, $400 for a week, up to, you know, $20,000 for an eight-week session. And uh, it's, yeah, it's it's astronomical. Give me like a median number, though, like an average for a private camp. I, a private camp would be tricky. I, I don't, for me, I, I don't know that I have, I have that number. My guess is you're looking at 2,500 for two weeks, something like that. That sounds about right. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, Y camps are going to be somewhere in the 600 to $800 a week range. Some of them are a little more, some of them are a little less. Um, but yeah, so but there there are scholarships, and the key to the scholarships is to get on the phone with somebody, uh, and they'll help you through the process much better than 
actually the key to summer camp in general is to get on the phone with someone. I, I would say uh, the folks I know the best that work at camp would tell you that the number one predictor of success for your kid at camp is if you get on the phone with the camp director and you feel good about that camp director. And so I would recommend doing that way more than, you know, look at the website, read all that stuff. Get on the phone with the camp director. All the camp directors out there are rolling their eyes, being like, "You just increased my workload by thirty percent." I, I love you Thank all. You, I, I love you all very much, and this is the best thing we can do for for uh, families. Uh, how does Stomping Ground handle accessibility scholarships, bringing in a, a wider array of people? Yeah, so we we do two things. One, we have a trust based sliding scale, so we set the cost at two thousand dollars, and then we say, if you can't afford that, just let us know what you can pay, and then we. Uh, this is insider baseball. We pretend that we are going to check, but we don't. We just say yes. We don't ask for any paperwork or anything like that. We just say, you know, yes, we're going to, whatever you can pay, we we will make it happen. And then we fundraise and do all kinds of things to try and uh, make that work. Just like a lot of alternative schools, a lot of our scholarships are, uh, our camperships are non-funded. So we just take a loss on that. Uh, and then the other thing we do is, you know, I, I, I kind of like a little bit picked on for-profit camps for not going out and, and trying to bring kids in. And so we do a lot of targeted outreach to boys and girls clubs and um, uh, big brothers, big sisters and local schools and those kind of things where, where we're intentionally targeting communities that we know uh, tend to be under-resourced. And we say, you can have free, you can just come for free. We're not going to check on anything. It's very likely that we're getting scammed by one or two people but you know what like at the end of the day that means that way more kids are getting to come to camp than normal and that's important to me i want to talk about the magic of summer camp and you can either draw from your own personal experience uh, running stomping ground or going to camp yourself or what you saw uh, in your two-year-long tour of 200 camps because for me what what defines summer camp and lodges it into my my memory, my my emotional memory, are are these these magic moments. Um, I could pull half a dozen out of a hat right now from my own experience growing up going to uh, Deer Crossing Camp, largely, but a few other camps as well. Uh, I want to hear where's the magic for you, and where have you felt it, like in, inside you, like wh where are these moments that are never going to disappear. Yeah. So, so I think what you're, what you're talking about is, is, you know, if we think about the, our, our job at camp is to create opportunities for sponge brain moments, and they're going to be different for every single kid. Every single kid is going to interact with the way everything that happens at camp differently, but we can manufacture opportunities for more kids to have more likely chances of more sponge brain moments so that they can remember cool stuff. Right. And then they can interpret that the way they do. And so, you know, when I think about that, it's really maybe three big categories. One is larger than life, outrageous, ridiculous activities, you know, and at Stomping Ground, we don't do a lot of wildernessy stuff. Like I know you have memories from, from Deer Crossing. Instead, we have these absurd, you know, games where zombies attack and as a camper, you get to decide, how am I going to interact with these zombies? 
I know that I can go earn money over there. That maybe I, means I can buy a sword, which means that I can battle these zombies and the mechanics of the game are intentionally set up. So oftentimes, you know, it, there's incentives to work with a different camper. So two campers are going out collecting tennis balls to earn money so that they can have this moment where there's a counselor dressed up like a zombie who's thinking about attacking them. They're thinking about how do we defend ourselves? How do we deal with this, this zombie that's attacking? And they get to defeat the zombie. You know, what we're doing is we're, we're stealing from video games. We're, we're stealing these, these ideas. You know, we're borrowing from LARP, live action role play. We're borrowing from, from, I don't know the names of video games anymore. Well, it sounds like you're borrowing from Minecraft. Minecraft. Yeah. You, you, so, you know, maybe instead of oftentimes we are using cardboard to build, you know, walls that, that the zombies can't get into. I'm, I'm stuck on the zombie metaphor, but often it's dinosaurs or, um, monsters of different kinds, right? So we're building these larger than life moments that these kids have a chance to interact with in these bizarre, weird ways where they're running around and, and, and getting their, their friends to come together and help them or counselors are gathering 50 kids to charge another group on the capture the flag field, right? Like those are just these big moments that many kids, not all kids, many kids will remember for a really long time. They're going to, they're going to be you know, setting themselves up to really, you know, think about that in different ways. And then what's cool is, and, you know, this ties into maybe a second category is there's going to be often these also tiny moments, right? And sometimes those are a result of big moments. So when we have these shared experiences, like a huge night game like that, then you're walking back to your cabin to brush your teeth and you're standing, you're walking with your friend who you didn't see during most of that game, right? Because you were off doing something, he was off doing something else, and you're walking back to your cabin and you're talking about the game. So then you have this shared experience of you're walking back uh, as the, the sun sets or you're in the wilderness, you're walking back to your cabin to go grab your toothbrush with this friend who's, you know, maybe not from where you're from or, you know, whatever, has some different life experience. And you're talking about how you battled a T-Rex and you defeated it which then sets you up for when you brush your teeth and you come back to the cabin, you know, it's stomping around. A lot of camps, people do um, little kind of closing moments. We call it embers at camp. The idea is there's a conversation around how your day went and maybe some processing. A lot of people call it last light, whatever. It doesn't matter what it's called. And so then you're sitting in a circle after sharing this experience that is this wild uh, game and you've made, a, you've made friends in different ways and then you're, you know, talking about your feelings, you're talking about how, how the day went, which who knows what portion of that might be a sponge brain moment for one of those kids. But what matters is that those kids know that they matter. It matters that maybe they made a decision and saw an impact, um, whatever, like things, all those kind of things. And so, and then the third moment that I think is really important that summer camp has a unique, um, advantage in is that summer camp employs young adults, from all over the country, right? So, and all over the world, you know, 17, 18, 19, 22, whatever it is, these folks who are still cool enough for the kids to look up to, who are still fun, engaging, and not to say that, Blake, you and I aren't fun and engaging anymore. I think we can be. And 22-year-olds tend to be just more fun. They got a lot of energy. So when these, you know, 22-year-olds who are not the type of people that tend to be you know, working with kids all the time, right? So kids normally have their parents who care about them, maybe some extended family. So maybe they have some cool cousins and then they have teachers who are older and 
maybe they aren't that much older, but they appear so different, right? But at camp, the camp counselor role is something that's pretty unique to camp. You know, maybe there's a few other coaches and some other things in life, but the camp counselor's job is just to hang out with kids, to be, you know, very fun, to be engaging and to be thoughtful. And so you spend your week, two weeks, eight weeks at camp with these cool older siblings or cousins who are playing with you, who are leading games, who are, you know, the epitome of cool for so many kids. And I know them very well. Many of them aren't that cool, right? (laughs) Let's be honest. (laughs) Pretty average. I mean, I was a camp counselor and I'm not that cool. So, uh, but here's what, what is so magical, I think, is yes, they're fun, they're engaging, all those things, but the best camp counselors also are the ones that when something is going wrong, when a camper is crying and they're homesick, when they are playing soccer and somebody scores a goal on them in goal and you're just a little bit on the edge, that the best camp counselors are the ones that can empathize with you in that moment and help you through it. And so maybe that's sitting with you on the porch of a cabin for 15 minutes as you work through your homesickness as a kid because you're away from home for the first time and they give you a stuffed animal because it's the stuffed animal that they always sleep with and they say, you know, will you take care of Barry tonight and um, give him back to me in the morning, right? It's, it's those, you know, that magic moment that can happen or, you know, that's a sponge brain moment for some kids. Or like I said, in soccer, somebody scores a goal on you and you're a little bit upset and you don't know how to process it. And instead of, you know, somebody saying, just brush it off or whatever, maybe they, they look at you and they just, all they say is, dude, you're playing great. We'll get it back. And as a, you know, as an eight year old, having an 18 year old who seems like the coolest person on the planet, show that attention to you. I think can be life-changing. And so those, you know, three kind of categories of these big shared experiences, these inner camper experiences that that happen all over and then the the adults at camp showing love and trust and attention to kids, I think are tend to be where some of the big moments happen. And there's a million other ones, you know, at the dining hall or at a million other places. I want to dwell on the the staff one because I feel like that's really important and you've done a great job of highlighting it because I've seen behind the scenes how much work the directors put into recruiting staff, interviewing them, shaping a good balanced team of people, making sure there's a diversity of personalities, making sure that there are, you know, warm, nurturing types and there are, you know, kind of the opposite, like kind of push you to grow types. And like you said, it's this this fascinating nexus of, of, of being uh, old enough to have competency and, and, and authority, but young enough to, to still have a very playful spirit. And uh, and where else are you going to find these people? Where else are you going to where else are you going to interact with a twenty four year old in in your normal life as a fifteen year old? It's just so hard to to access them and to have someone who can then talk with you honestly about. Like, oh, well, I just finished this college program, but maybe it wasn't the right choice for me. Um, you know, having these honest conversations about, about how to move through your, your, your probably your 20s, most likely. Uh, yeah. Where else do you find those people? Well, and there's, there's such a magic. And I, I know Peter Gray has, has made this a cornerstone as he talks about um, Sudbury Valley schools and self-directed education in general. But, you know, there's such a magic from learning in, in these mixed age environments. And, and that, that's not just the kids, right? That's not just the six-year-olds learning from the eight-year-olds. It's, 
the 15 year olds learning from the 20 year olds. It's, it's because we have so much to learn from folks who are just a little bit older than us and a little bit younger than us. And of course we have, there's tons, there's, you know, amazing experts and, and magic to learn from, from those folks. But it's so rare, like you're saying that I remember being in high school and the only place that I talked to college students who, you know, are two years older than me or whatever it might be, was a handful of cousins and summer camp. The only place. However, I'm making a potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars decision about what to do with the rest of my life. Rest of my life. Of course, I went to school for engineering and here I am running summer camp. But, you know, it, it, um, there's just none of those places, not none of those places. There's not that many of those places. And so summer camp is, you know, when, when Laura and I talked about why we were going to start camp, because we thought about starting uh, a school. We thought about just going to workplaces. One of the things that, is, that summer camp also is, is that it's like pretty accessible to huge portions of the United States where, you know, what percentage of kids go to you know, these awesome alternative schools, like very few. And however, just, you know, 20 million kids are going to go to summer camp this summer out of about, I think, 70 million kids that could go to summer camp. So what is that? Like a third, a little less than a third, a quarter of kids are going to go to summer camp. And so it's accessible. There's more people that are going to go. That means that we can bridge more gaps. We can help people that would never meet each other. And I still remember, you know, back to the the staff, the staff perspective. I remember being 15 years old, sitting under a tree outside of our cabin at Camp Selmars and Linky LaRue, who was the leader of the LIT program, leaders in training program, came up to me and said, Jack, someday you're going to make a great camp counselor. And I was this nerdy, terrified, kind of like dorky 15-year-old who mostly didn't have much self-confidence, except Linky must have seen something. Or Linky was just being silly. I don't know. Thank you, Linky. I'll call you later. And, uh, you know, that just that one moment changed my life forever, probably, because I started working at camp. I fell into all of these camp experiences, started a camp, you know, like I wouldn't be who I am today without that one moment. And we all probably can look back on our lives and have, there's a million of those one moments that, that make us who we are. And so that's the power that these camp counselors have. And, and, and they, you know, most camp counselors really take it seriously. They, it, it's amazing. The world also says that 18 year olds aren't responsible and can't do this, that, and the other thing. That's obviously just ridiculous. At camp, camp counselors work 24 hours a day so hard, are so responsible. You know, it's amazing what they can do. They can be thoughtful and, and caring and, and creative and charismatic and all these things. And mostly we just don't have situations to, to let them be successful. So let's talk about the self-directed learning connection with summer camps. And what you just told me is that summer camps are more accessible. Like there's more opportunities to go to a summer camp than there are to go to a, a great alternative school. That's totally true. Um, but there's a wide array of summer camps out there. How likely is it that uh, a young person is going to get a taste of, of self-directed learning, of autonomy, of, of agency, of walking away from a two-week overnight summer camp session and feeling like I am in more 
control of my life and my decisions as compared to like, well, that was fun. I killed some zombies. Uh, and from what you've seen, you know, the camps that are doing self-directed learning in, in a positive way, how are they doing it? Yeah, that's uh, so my hope is that camps would be more self-directed, you know, as, as a, as a whole than they are. And they aren't as self-directed as I think would be very easy to be for most camps. Now they have their boards they have to convince and, and things like that. And so, you know, the average camp is going to be a lot of time going around with your cabin, you know, doing what you're told a little bit. And it's, you know, a lot more fun for many kids to go to archery than it is to go to math class. But a lot of camps are built that way. Um, I will say that no matter what, when you're at camp, the sleepaway camp, you're going to be away from your parents. You're going to make likely a lot more decisions than you would as a, in a conventional family, right? You're going to choose what to wear. You're going to choose, you know, your camp counselor's probably not that good at making sure you brush your teeth. So, you know, you're going to choose if you want to like sneak around the teeth brushing process or just brush your teeth. You're going to choose whether to change your underwear uh, you know, people, camp counselors try and check on these things. I'm just being realistic about what's actually going to happen. Right. And so you're going to choose more ways to interact. You get to kind of, because you're mostly likely with folks, you don't know that well, if you're going to camp for the first time, you're going to get to choose how to be in that group. You know, you get to maybe reinvent yourself in ways like, however, many camps are not that choiceful, you know, uh, there's a lot of camps where you get to choose what to do for some number of hours during the day, right? You get to choose between basketball or soccer or uh, arts and crafts or those kind of those kind of things. Um, and, you know, the Quaker camps, like I recommended, tend to be mostly a choice-based schedule. So, you know, when they, when they what they would say is uh, you're going to wake up in your cabin, you're going to go to the dining hall or whatever for breakfast, and then you're going to get to choose a few options before lunch, um, then... You're going to get to hang out in your cabin after lunch. You're going to choose some options after dinner, after lunch, those kind of things. But you're still, you know, choosing from within a, a menu that's offered to you. Um, that's the most common, like, kind of choice-based uh, camp experience. And I think we can do better. I think we can, we can say, you know, at Stomping Ground, it, it's a very, it's a pretty easy process. We just have during all of, you know, our schedule is very similar to what I just described. You wake up, you have breakfast, then you go and there's going to be choices basically all day long that you can choose from four, five, six options every hour or so, or you can hang out in what we call downtown stomping ground. So, you know, because we have younger kids, unlike back, not back to school camp, we've got to supervise our kids all the time. But in downtown stomping ground, you just create like a town square type space. And it's like being at, um, the college, uh, uh, what, what's it called? The, um, Student union. The student union, yeah, it's a, the student union, but designed for six to fifteen year olds. And so there's hammocks, there's um, Gaga ball, which is like a, a version of dodgeball in a pit that kids like. There's arts and crafts in our makerspace. You can make whatever you want. You can uh, hang out and play magic, and you can just get up to your own stuff. And the, and the staff that are in that space are told your job is to really supervise and engage with kids, but your job is not necessarily to start things. Kids are coming to this space to get up to their stuff. I feel like that 
hits the nail on the head for what separates a summer camp that really values self-direction from one that just offers a bunch of elective choices, which, like you said, are it's still great, still an upgrade from your whatever else you'd be doing for those weeks during the summer. But the freedom to to have your own existence as a camper without an adult, even a cool 22-year-old adult, coming up and saying like, hey, how about you go do this thing? And you know, just being no, 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 we're, we're playing magic. Like, we're fine. That's okay. The, the freedom to be left alone at summer camp, even if it seems like you're doing something that is, quote, you know, not a great use of time, or you're kind of listless or bored, or you're just hanging out and watching. Do you agree with me? I, I 100%, I 100% agree with you. I, I think, you know, questions are always, you know, from camp professionals that I talk to, they say, well, what happens when a parent calls and says, well, my kid just hung out in downtown stomping ground all day. I say, great. That's what we're selling. We're, we're selling the opportunity for kids to learn how to make decisions by making them. And that means sometimes at the end of the day, you know, when the kids are reflecting, they say, you know, oh, you know, I, I, I wish that I had gone to archery like, uh, Sarah did because it sounds like she had such a great time and I read my book uh, all day. And sometimes Sarah says, I wish I read my book all day because, oh my gosh, that's like, I'm so tired and that would have been great. You know? And, and I think summer camps, you know, I, I can't remember. Susan Cain has a Ted talk, uh, about the power of introverts. And it starts with her story of summer camp and her story of summer camp is that she got dropped off at summer camp and she brought all these books because she thought that she was going to be reading. That's what they do for fun in her family, I guess. And she's very upset that everyone is chanting uh, something about how to be more rowdy, but they're spelling it wrong. And she hated her experience at summer camp because, you know, what was valued was this extroversion. And she's saying, why couldn't I get a chance to read my books and, and enjoy myself? Not to say that I'm going to be antisocial or rude, but I'm just going to read my book. And that's what I need right now. And... I think my hope for summer camps would be that they could move more in that direction. I think that summer camp has an opportunity to change faster than schools do and maybe start to give kids a reprieve from kids that would never get to engage in self-directed education the way that, you know, you and I think about it in terms of unschooling or being at Sudbury Valley or ALCs or those kind of things, right? Like, the kids that are going to just be at their local public school, they're just going to, that's what that's going to be their life. We at camp can do better. We can give those kids two weeks a summer, eight weeks a summer, whatever it is, where they can explore the world free from judgment on how they spend their time in a place that's safe, that is not going to, you know, it, they're not just like on the street or, you know, they're, they're, they've got people that care about them. There's, there's a, a safety net that's so easy that they can spend their time. And, you know, when, what's scary sometimes, right? Like, so running, stomping around, I've got a kid who comes to camp for the first time. It's their first day. They're sitting in a hammock. They are by themselves. They're reading a book. And I'm like, holy cow, is that person happy? I have no idea if they're happy or they're sad. But you know what I do have? And you know what every staff member at Stomping Ground has? The power to come over sit next to them and say, hey, how you doing? You enjoying your book? That's great. What are you reading? Tell me more. Oh, you really like making things? Did you know we have a makerspace over there? 
let me help you figure out how to navigate this space. Because that's what people are afraid of, right? They're afraid that kids are going to come to camp and, and they're going to read their book because they're afraid all day. Well, maybe they're going to read their book because they need a little bit of a break from all these people, you know, yelling and, and, and screaming. And, and we do yelling and screaming. It's time around too, right? And maybe they don't know how to navigate the space. Or maybe, and this happens more often than not, I sit down next to the kid. And I'm like, hey, what are you reading? And they tell me a little bit about what they're reading. And then I say, well, do you want to do anything else? And they say, I'm trying to read my book, Jack. Will you just go away? (laughs) And then you say, yes. And I say, yeah, heck yeah. Keep reading your book. Let me know if you need anything. Like, it it isn't that complicated, right? Like, it's, it's how we treat adults. It's how we, but we just, for some reason, can't figure out how to do that for kids. Well, or we refuse to do it for kids. All right, I want you to tell me a few of your favorite summer camps in the United States. This is not you marketing for these camps, and I would just love to hear a few names of camps that you think are, are doing something pretty cool. Just And, and this is arbitrary jack shot. Uh, you know, they are interesting to you. I'm going to get in trouble because I have so many camp director friends. Uh, so when I, the things that I love about camps I'll, I'll start with that then i can and tell you some camps that i think are, are doing some cool stuff the things that i love about camp is camps are trying to push as much self-direction into the experience as possible to let kids get up to their own things you know like focusing on letting kids learn as opposed to teaching some things like that right um i love camps that are pushing the envelope on how can we bring in more kids that can afford to come to camp or working to bring populations of kids that don't normally tend to come to camp to be able to come to camp right like camp summer camp tends to be a white space so how can we bring more kids to camp that would that want to right like how can we make the opportunity available to folks black and brown folks whatever so that more kids can be at camp and experience some of this awesome stuff if they want to again consent being the key um and the last thing is camps that are just doing just outrageous thing that you know when i talked about zombies attacking i love that stuff and so i'm fascinated every time by camps that are pushing the envelope on what can be outrageous what can be silly what can be um uh pushing the envelope and so at stomping ground we've that's those are three of the big things that we focus on and so you know we're there's not a lot of other camps trying to do those specific three things with knowing that we're going to give up other things right we don't have horses we don't have high ropes we don't have i don't know backpacking trips we don't have backpacking trips uh we don't have right we don't we just don't have that stuff because we're you know single-minded focus on these three things and and maybe some talking about also restorative justice and some other stuff like that right uh so if i love those things some camps that are doing some of those things really well and i apologize it is uh april ish 2020 2022 oh my gosh the pandemic just stole two years from my life uh it's april 2022 i apologize to families a lot of camps are full at this point a lot of camps are are just going to have wait list and that's that's the case so one if we're doing self-direction not nobody does self-directed uh camp better than not back to school camp as far as i can tell so this is not I, i don't have any reason to plug them except i think that they do cool stuff and you can go listen to the back episodes with Grace Llewellyn and Matt Sanderson all about not back to school camp if you want to dive deeper into that one. And, and, and you know, the, the, for teenagers exploring who they are, nobody does creating self-directed spaces better than not back to school camp that I've that I've seen. Um, 
there's a lot of camps. There's a, a, a few camps really trying to bring more kids. You know, there's a camp in uh, Milwaukee called Camp Kindred, and their focus is how to reunite Milwaukee, which is one of the most segregated cities in the country. And so they, one of their taglines, and I'm going to botch it, so I'm sorry, Tom, is to, they say, what if um, the future leaders of Milwaukee met each other when they were nine years old? Right. So they focus a lot on contact theory, which is this idea that when we um, spend time with folks that are different from us, we build empathy for their experience in ways that you can't if you don't actually spend time with them. And so uh, Kindred does that. There's a camp in New Orleans called Wilderness Wilderness Oaks. Camp. I'm going to mess up. I can't remember what it's called. Wilderness Oak. Sorry, Jack. Uh, and, and it's a it's does something very similar to that. Um, Uncommon Grounds in um, in San Francisco does the same. They have all similar uh, processes around bringing kids from different backgrounds together from specific cities, so that that city can maybe be changed from these kind of experiences. And um, Wild Oaks is the name of the camp. And, um, so those, those camps, you know, there's other camps that are doing those kind of things really well, but those are some of the ones that, that I, I really think about. And then kind of pushing the limits on what's possible being, uh, outrageous and silly. Uh, my best example is Camp Augusta, which is outside of, uh, it's in Nevada city, California. So a lot of their kids come from the Bay area and they are outrageously silly on so many things. And I'll, I'll tell you maybe some of the stuff that they do, but they have a very choice-based schedule as well. So they do, you know, they, they don't push the next step, right? They don't say it's okay to stop and do what you want to do in a space like downtown stomping ground. They do, however, have choices all day long for kids and so many of them glass blowing and, um, and all kinds of things. But one of the things that, that, uh, they do that I think is really cool is they every morning do something called a special wake up. So their cabins are four or five kids and the special wake up works like this. On the first day, the counselor asks, you know, what are some things that would be not okay to wake you up with? What are some things you like? Whatever. Then every morning, the counselor leaves the cabin before the kids wake up and goes and gets their supplies to do the special wake up. And uh, one of the things I loved is that, of course, it's hard to be creative after six weeks of doing special wakeups. And so they have this system where the counselors go to their costume area and they pull three random words that have been added to a bucket out of a out of the bucket. And they say, you know, it might say uh, Darth Vader, uh, Santa Claus um, dance. And so they grab some costumes and they wake the kids up in some form of, you know, handing out uh, presents as Darth Vader playing some music, doing a dance. Right. And so they wake the kids up with this wish, wonder and awe as their their way to wake up in the morning. And, and they you know, they have these kind of things uh, Their Their mission is something around creating wish, wonder and awe in kids. And so, you know, it, it is a little bit more top down, like I said, than a place like Stomping Ground, but they are unbelievable at creating those magic, ridiculous moments where, you know, they'll push the limits to, to the extreme to create silliness and, and fun in their camp. 
a few closing questions before we go get some dinner because we biked really far today and we need to eat. Uh, what comes next for Camp Stomping Ground and what comes next for you? So Stomping Ground is going to continue to run run camp for kids. You know, two, Right now we're running four two-week sessions and doing really well. It, it's, uh, it's been awesome. There's a ton of work to be done on the property. We, like I said, we acquired an old Boy Scout camp in 2020 and we spent the last two years just fixing things, you know, and building, we built eight cabins. We put two new septic systems in, we rebuilt, we gutted the bathhouse and, and redid that. We, um, I'm trying to think of all the other little projects. We moved a building. This was something I never, I didn't know was possible. So the the guy we purchased the 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 property from was like, "Do you think the building that's across the road? I own that. Do you think it would be helpful on camp?" And he was like, "Yeah." yeah. We were like, "Yeah, it'd be great. It'd be a perfect health center." He says, "All right, I'll figure it out." Sixteen thousand dollars later, we're moving this building that's I think twenty four by forty, uh, about a mile down the road onto camp, putting it on t on uh, cement tiers and then we're plumbing it and you know running water to to it i I learned more about construction and and uh you know getting hands dirty figuring out how to run water places and things like that than than i ever thought uh i would know and it's great I, i i was telling you earlier that one thing that i really like about the bike touring is that it's similar to the work I was doing in some ways the last couple of years where I would spend four, five, six, eight hours a day working with my hands, you know, running the nail gun, building, building walls so we can put the, put the cabins together, whatever the case might be. And then, you know, opening up my computer and working for another four five, six hours on all the other things that have to happen for camp emails and all the other logistics of running a business. And so, you know, what's cool about bike touring is similar. Like you get to bike which is the physical kind of like your body movement part and then you get to open your computer not bike <laughs> and it's not bike right yeah it's a wonderful balance and so uh what's next for me i don't know i i'm uh learning about what i want to do and and uh after you know essentially 10 years of only thinking about camp and only thinking about stomping ground you know it's 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 weird to take a break and and like the kids that come to camp have to learn again how to make decisions by making them not by following directions around what is next for me like i can't imagine i'm going to go get a job at an engineering company but uh i don't think that i'll ever want to run a camp again after uh after stomping ground it's great i love stomping ground it's amazing i'll always help them and um maybe I'll just buy a bike and, and learn how to bike and podcast and uh, write books. I, I have a friend who's great at that. <laughs> Jack shot. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks Blake.